Welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Andrew. And today we're going to talk about cats. Yay. How's your cat? My cat has been uh, a little feisty lately. I honestly don't know what's up, but she is usually the most cuddly, adorable thing. And she still is. Don't get me wrong. But just out of nowhere, it will go from cuddling to like suddenly she like goes into like tiger mode and she'll just like pounce on like my head or like my wife's head and just like <laughs> take a bite out of her hair. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, obviously yeah. like, she could do a whole lot more damage if she was like really trying to hurt. But like, it's also like a little bit more than love bite. I don't know what's going on, but I don't know if anybody has any uh, advice for the unwitting cat owner, that would be great. Overstimulation. Or understimulation. Maybe. I think my cat's feeling a little understimulated. Um, she's been a little weird. She normally sleeps in the bed with me every night, but like three or four nights this week, she just stayed downstairs. It was really weird. It made me kind of sad, but then I didn't have to worry about rolling over onto her. So, eh, you win some, you lose some. Yep. Yeah, because she doesn't sleep at my feet. She sleeps like at my hip. Like I can't, I cannot smother this cat that would be just that would make me so sad yeah my cat likes to sleep between my wife and i and i'm pretty sure it's a jealousy she's just trying to get between us because that cat (laughs) loves my wife the cat Mm -hmm. and i have a a tenuous relationship we kind of just stare at each other like okay we both live here that's not changing anytime soon we gotta gotta work it out (laughs) but that's about the extent of our relationship Yeah, that's pretty much um, Rick with the cat, too. She is definitely my cat. Like, we both come here to eat. We both come here for cuddles. And it just, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're just going to have to learn how to share. Man, he told me me that, um, and I didn't believe him because I, I'm sorry, um, usually I would come home first from work when I worked downtown. Then he'd come home later. And every time I got home, the cat would be so excited to see me. She'd be vocal. She'd be kind of like running around and rubbing up against me and wanting attention. And I, one, one day Rick got home before me and I got home and said, isn't it so great when, when she greets you? And he said, she's been in her little cat cube until you got home. Like she didn't even come out to say hi. I was like, oh, and that's when I realized she was my cat. Wow. Savage. (sighs) she's pretty savage she's like oh it's you where's the other one just kind of look like looks out from its perch oh it's you exactly you here you don't belong what did you do with emily where's emily i'm mad yeah i will accept nothing less than emily Mm mm-hmm yeah he says the cat calls me emmy which means she and i can can't be friends Mm, that is unfortunate. Nah. So, um, we should probably get back on topic as much as I, maybe someday when I get rich and famous, I will actually start a cat's podcast mm-hmm. where I'm secretly a dog person and uh, <laughs> making fun of cats the whole time, but nobody will know. It'll be kind of like Colbert on the Colbert report. 
masquerading as a Republican while secretly mo- secretly mocking them for years. Not so great. secretly. Not so secretly. Well, when I was a kid, I didn't know the difference. I just thought he was really wacko. And I was like, really? I- oh, yeah. Well, like Fox News was not uncommon to be seen in the home when I was a child. Fair. And then Colbert would come on like, okay, like I thought Fox is bad, but dad, don't we think we're taking this a little too far here? Oh my gosh. I realized it was satire for years. And that's one of those moments when you realize your whole childhood is a lie, but we're also not starting a psychiatry or psychology podcast. So we're, we'll just move on from that. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you ever collect like Pokemon cards when you were a kid? No, I didn't. It was, uh, it was uh, frowned upon. In our evangelical community. Oh, because it was gambling? I don't know. I yeah. was just told that, it, like magic or witchcraft. I, I wasn't able, I, I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter, so I didn't do that until after I became a parent. And after doing that, I feel like that should be a requirement for all parents to read Harry Potter before they become parents. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't really know, but I just have this innate hunch that the world would be a better place if all parents did that. Anyways. Yeah, what did you collect then when you were a kid? Well, we were poor, um, so not a lot. Um, sorry. But I'm trying to remember that bad off. It's yeah. just life. Is I'm trying to think. I mean, I collected a lot of drumsticks because I was a drummer. I used to have a ridiculous number of drumsticks. Did you collect those like collectible cups at McDonald's? Uh, we we uh, My mom still has the uh, the Coke glasses. McDonald's. And I bet uh, she thought those would be really valuable someday. No, it was just for the fun. Yeah. I think I think there's there's a couple ways to look at collecting. And I know that um, when we were kids, things like comic books and Pokemon cards and Beanie Babies. I collected I, rocks. That's what I collected. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's I was so sad. that kid. <laughs> oh, no. That's just like one step up from collecting dead bugs. Um. I don't know. At least dead bugs are interesting. <laughs> Rocks are interesting. I was a scary little child. I don't know what my parents were thinking with me. Yeah. I don't. Somehow I turned out somewhat all right. Yeah, I think but. so. But I mean, we we grew up and we got these toys and we kind of justified them as, oh, they'll be collectible. They're collectible. There's only a limited number, so they'll be valuable someday. And then one day we found out they were not like a billion people had Pokemon cards and the limited editions of these comic books that were coming out weren't really that limited um, and were worth nothing. And as, as someone who um, is an adult, I, I like to imagine that I can, I can see around the hype. And I know that sometimes I'm not very good at it, and um, I especially have to check myself when it comes to collectible gear. I think everyone likes to think that marketing doesn't work on them, and one of the the big things that people use for marketing is scarcity marketing. So uh, you just tell people that there's only a limited number of things, and then they're more inclined to buy because they don't want to miss out. And I mean, I've worked in event ticketing. This is the biggest message that you push is that tickets are moving fast, even if they're not. Oh yeah. Well, I got, I, I was told to push that technique when I was at guitar center and just as a way to sell stuff on the whole, I, I only did use that technique when I really believed what I was saying. I tried to be an honest salesman, but yeah, that's at least soon as you say that, like look on someone's face, like, Oh, the game has changed. 
This changes everything. Oh, I need to make this decision today. I can't wait until. Right here, right now, instant gratification. The world would come to a screeching halt if I decided no and it was mm-hmm. gone. Yeah, that fear of missing out is very real. And I, you see, yeah, you see that all the time. And I know that we talked to Rick Matthews about his his limited runs. And, you know, I feel like his limited runs, Right. what I really respect about what he does is that when he says he's only going to make a certain number of things, or he's only going to make them to a certain day, and then he's never going to make them again, he really doesn't ever make them again. Right. You got to hold to that if you're going to do it. Yeah, and a lot of people don't. And I, I know we talked about that a little bit um, already, so I won't delve into it too much. But I think then it gets to the question of what makes something collectible? Like, is it just as simple as making your petal pink? Because that's something I've seen maybe five or six times this week alone. Which is super rad. Yeah, and I mean... Oh yeah, I've got a friend of mine who's trying to put together a uh, all pink pedal board. I'm like, you chose the right time to do that, bud. Oh, I can't believe it! Like Quiet Theory, um, Prelude, the pink version. The 1981's going to come out with a pink version, and that that's that was literally just this week. Yeah, but does that make it more collectible? Well, it depends on who you talk to. Um, I would I would argue yes, and but collectible in the sense of like is is it worth that extra bit of money you're paying um we're collectible versus uh like the whole like what are you getting out of it because i think there's two different kinds of people that look at something that says collectible or limited edition um or limited number and there's two different kinds of people when it comes to that there's the people that look at that and say someday that's going to be worth a lot of money mm-hmm. if i get this now and i hold on to it and i baby it keep it mint condition this is this is going to make me some money this is my retirement plan or like this is going to buy me my midlife crisis car whatever it is mm-hmm. i mean so there's that and then there's the other kind of person that looks at it and says oh that's really unique and you know i kind of like how that i feel like that connects with me as an individual that helps me express myself that uh, that matches the aesthetic of my specific pedal board. So my friend who's coming with a pink pedal board, he's not buying any of this for the uh, the flip value. He wants it because it just that's what he's going for. It's what he really likes. And uh, by all means, dude, go for it. I mean, but do we really think that the flip value is going to be any higher on um, a pink 1981? Um, maybe right up front. I mean, it's easier to to ballpark that right out front. But I mean, I guess it's kind of like the stock market. You have no idea when stocks are going to drop and when they're going to jump. And I've seen um, the prices of pedals go up and down over the years for different things and or guitars. And it's just really hard to tell. Like, here's an example. This is one of my uh, pieces of gear that got away stories. When I was at Guitar Center, we got in this uh, this orange sparkle Fender offset uh, short scale. I don't remember. It's like one of those like pawn shop series. Super rad looking. I'll have to find it photo for um, the social media later. I really loved how it looked and we were selling it for 500 bucks. At that point I was like, Ooh, how, what can I sell to make this happen? And like, you know, I was working at guitar center. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of money. Contrary to popular belief, guitar center employees, not paid that much. (laughs) Just kidding. Not popular belief jokes. Um, I didn't have a lot of money to play with and at that point, it just wasn't a priority, and so I let it go. I had it on layaway for about two weeks, and I really wanted to find a way to justify coming up with the money. I just couldn't, mm-hmm. um, and so I let it go. I kid you not, like two months ago, I was like, you know, 
what if I did sell something right now? And I like got one of those. Cause I just is stuck with me in my head of like, Oh, that'd be a really great guitar to own someday. And I looked it up and they're selling for over a thousand dollars now. Man. Like, what the heck? Yeah. But there's no way for me to know. And you know, that pawn shop series. I mean, I don't know if you could have predicted which ones would have done well and which ones would have done poorly. I mean, and then even certain, we were talking about colors of petals. I think that the pink, um, pawn shop offset that I have, I think that sells for more or is at least harder to find than the other colors. I mean, maybe I just, I don't know. I feel like it's incredibly unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And it has so much to do with just like the quality of it and how rare is it really? I mean, it's like, uh, I, I had that, um, the gold, I still have the gold astronomer and those were going like, wow. God, my cat just bit me. Uh, <laughs> um, and I was just petting her and then she bit me. Um, like the, the gold astronomer and I think even the father, um, those were going for a lot of money if you could find them. And now that uh, the V2 astronomer has that same algorithm, I... Right. It's like, I don't... I, I, I'm, I can't... F- flip it not that i was you know buying it to flip it i bought it two or three years ago um if i was going to sell it i would have sold it by now um or if i was going to sell it for a profit i would have sold it by now but um so, you're you're passing the point of when it's worth the flip yeah so i think part of like the old school collecting was that you have to hold on to it for a long time but that was with toys and comics and then you would have oh well, the first edition of a Superman comic is more valuable than subsequent editions, but sometimes that's the case with pedals and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes the version two is more collectible. It's better because there are just, just those improvements made upon it. I mean, I don't know if you're going to see people selling those uh, Matthews effects dual reverbs that he did for $400 anymore because now you can buy the new one on his website right now. Probably not and not at the end of the year anymore, but and that's three fifty. Right. So he's like I I assume killing the um the the flip for some people on that. Right, yeah, I saw the uh the V one. It was the uh the gold enclosure from the the dual reverb. Guitar Center in Seattle of all places. And I think it was selling for 200 even. Uh, something like and that. That's just such a great price for that pedal. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a killer pedal. The the guy I talked to about it at Guitar Center had no idea what he was looking. He's like, yeah, it sounds okay. I'm like, okay, dude, let me tell you. So And they didn't change the price on it. It didn't. It doesn't matter how cool it is uh, to an extent. Is kind of what I'm learning. Oh yeah, I mean, small builders, kind of iffy resale value um, historically, but he'll have always had good resale value with those Matthews effects and the 1981s, which is nuts to me because he's still building those. But they the when he was doing the uh, launching a batch and just buy them while they're mm-hmm. live. I mean, those are selling out like instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Like people like were like hovering over their emails, like trying to buy and they're just gone. Just like that, that was that quiet theory. That's 
the the prelude. I mean, I mm -hmm. just happened to be looking at my email the moment it came in. I was like, oh, I'm, I need to buy this. And I justified it to my husband. I'm like, I think I can maybe sell it. I, if I don't like it, I can at least get what I paid for it. It's a really nice pedal. Oh, yeah. I'd love to. I can't wait for you to get it just so I can come over and get my hands on it. Oh, I have it. What? Yeah. <sighs> I got it last week. We're overdue for a jam session. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been, uh, yeah, a lot of new gear days for me, but, and gosh, they've, it's mostly been like collectible things. So, oh, gosh, I guess I'm just, uh, falling victim to marketing, but they're good. They're good products. I mean, if I got one and played, I was like, Oh God, I hate this. I feel bad about it, but. Right. And they're great. And like, well, with the, uh, the quiet theory preload in the 1981, like that is just their flagship. That is, it's, there's obviously there's coming out with new colors and stuff is limited runs, but even just the actual flagship itself is flipping for so much money. We're seeing mm -hmm. that with the new chase bliss reverb, which I am just, all about that and uh yeah I, and so it's not even that it's specifically a collectible item it's just that it's supply and demand economics mm -hmm. just playing out and i don't know but i wonder if there's a way for us to so we've so far okay let me get my head around what i'm trying to say here so far we have talked about mostly obvious things it is unpredictable is kind of where we're going with this and just some things end up being collectible. Some things aren't. Some things are flippable right up front, but once the market starts to saturate the, or there's a newer version of it, that resale value gets decimated. But what about the the items the that have been timeless? What about the pieces of gear that were have been at a high resale value for so long and are continue to stay that way? Um, like the obvious, like number one is a is a 1959 Les Paul burst. I mean, mm. obviously there's that and. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars for a guitar, um, but within pedals, we've got the the Boss Slow Gear. I mean, that sells for four or five hundred dollars. Oh, and the uh, Boss CE two is in the three hundred, maybe. Yeah, C CE one goes for more than that. It just ooh, um, it's like what what is it about those? Is it that it's on the front end of the cutting edge, it's unique and nothing ever has been done like it before. And so even if people improve upon it, it's always going to be the OG designer. I think it's, I mean, you think about that CE2, that chorus just defined a decade. That was the eighties in a box, man. And, and there's, and people claim that you're never going to be able to replicate that. Because the certain components aren't aren't available anymore, and I think that's where the old school, like for the actual vintage gear, comes into play. Because, like, not all vintage gear is collectible. They aren't all winners. Um, but just I think knowing that when the parts aren't available anymore, when the components don't exist anymore, or there's like special about that batch, it's like um. Uh, is it Stradivarius violins? That wood is never going to exist again. No. No. Unfortunately, those are so cool. Yeah. I think it's the idea of never again is is a big thing. I mean, you talk about vintage Les Pauls. Other than that, it was first or early. 
and um, something that they and they, that they, that they still make less falls today, and older ones are still so valuable is astounding. I just well, what's more astounding to me is that they're selling less Pauls for the price that they're at. But who knows? Hopefully, with a the old CEO out of the picture, that's going to change. But I mean, if you look at what a Les Paul costs back in 1959 and then you adjust for inflation, it's about the same. If Wait, not, just, if not, if, if not like less now. I know. I'm just looking at like the saturation of the market and for a dual humbucking guitar that's comfortable to play, that's of high quality. I mean, there's so many better options in the three to $4,000 range. In oh, my opinion, I yeah. could, I mean, obviously people can feel free to disagree with me, but I've played a whole ton of Les Pauls right out of the box from the last couple of years uh, when I worked at Guitar Center. And I just, I don't know. They just doesn't do it for me. I mean, I had a Les Paul and I hated it. I've, I've played Les Pauls that I really liked, but never for the price tag that they're going for. Yeah, I think I paid 1200 for the one that I had. And it was it was so heavy I I couldn't play it I just it was not enjoyable so and you know the idea of uh, when you touch something does it give you joy not that guitar no but I don't know I just I wonder if there's not a way for us to dig into like the whole like collectible and like how do we feel about people who are okay I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question before I even finish it people who are trying to pull the this is a collectible limited edition item by all means go for it. If that helps people feel special about what they're purchasing, makes them feel more connected to a builder, etc. Honestly, I think that's one of the best things about the gear community is this connection, this level playing field, this very interpersonal dynamic that a lot of companies have going on with their customers, especially the smaller brands like old blood noise. Oh, mm-hmm. I love the custom colors that they do. And it's like every one that they release is better than the one before. It's just, it's art. It's, exp- right. it's self-expression. It's not, and that's not just like through the, like the noises that you're getting. It's through that, those aesthetics. Right. Right. I think it's very special that you can have a hobby where you can express your personality in so many different ways. I feel that I definitely geek out over a uh, rare gear, hard to find stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah. It's like, uh, I was on a guitar safari, um, to, to steal a term from Joe Bonamassa and I ran across a love to a couple of love tone pedals. And I don't know if you're familiar, those are made, I want to say like in the nineties, uh, the love tone big cheese is like one of the most rare pedals that collectors are always after kind of a deal. Uh, that's not the one I got to see. I saw a couple other from that company. It was just like super cool. Like, I'm like, oh wow, this is like a very rare. I will not likely see these ever again. Oh, isn't that such a cool feeling? And just to sit down and play through it and be like, whoa, I'm experiencing something like really unique here. That's uh, it's a timestamp on a period of time and just I don't know. It's almost like a a time capsule of sorts. I feel like that way when I go play vintage gear in a shop. Oh man, that. That um, big cheese is on reverb for five hundred dollars. Yep. And then ten dollars shipping. They couldn't even throw in cover the cost. Nope. So let me. I don't really know. Okay. So where have you heard this pedal? Oh, uh, the big cheese. Wilco used it on at least that's what you said, Mm -hmm. which 
It's I love that song. Jay Mascus, Jimmy Page, The Edge, meh. Johnny Marr, The Beastie Boys, and Bootsy Collins. Oh, love Bootsy Collins. Did you just say meh about The Edge? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, he's oh gosh, so overrated. Well, okay, but you okay? Pet peeve here. Saying someone is overrated doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad person. It just means that you're sick of how other people talk about that person. I think he's a bad guitarist. Okay, now you're you're really upping the ante there. He's not a good guitarist. <laughs> I wouldn't say he is amazingly technical. No. I think he was innovative for his time, and I appreciate the influence he's had on a number of genres because it did strike a chord, pun intended, uh, with a lot of people. And there's just a lot of elements of what he did. I don't know. I feel like that. I feel like that's a fair statement to make. Love or hate the guy? Man, I don't know. I I was he innovative or did he just was he just the first one who was popular who was doing the things that he did? I would like to say the first one. I don't know enough about the history of the use of dotted eighth delay. Um, so I couldn't tell you. I can tell you uh, being a guitar player that's played a lot of worship music. I have no choice but to appreciate the impact that he's had on the genre of worship music. Oh yeah. If you, if you have a chance, um, I, there's a whole number of guitar tracks I could send to you from, uh, from Hillsong or et cetera, move on from there. Um, Bethel, just all the dotted eight, these ambient sounds that just sound like they got pulled off of a U2 record. Yeah, but does yeah. that make him good? I mean, I mean, if you, just because he was the one who got ripped off, I mean, but who was was he ripping someone off? It makes him influential. I mean, Kurt Cobain was a crap guitar player, but he certainly has influence. I think there's a lot to learn from him. Yeah, but uh, influential doesn't mean good. I never. I'm not arguing with you on whether or not he's good. I'm just saying. And I can't. I, I can't. I can't say that the Edge wasn't influential, but was he innovative? Is the question. I would say yes. Mm. I could be wrong here and I'm not willing to, to, to make any sort of bets on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to get some flack for that. You might. That's okay. I'll, I Likewise, people probably disagree with me as well. Oh so. gosh. I can just think about all the guitarists I think are overrated. Should that be an episode? Maybe we should talk about that overrated guitarist. Eh, maybe that wouldn't be. A terrible thing to talk about. I feel like that'd be relevant. Might be a little bit more relevant than cats. Maybe. I remember in the Wampler group once, someone said that Prince was an overrated guitarist because he could learn Prince's solos later. I'm like, being a parrot doesn't mean you understand the language and doesn't mean you can come up with that yourself. It does not. Like, yeah, I can, I can do a Prince solo, kind of. I definitely could not write one. I mean, you're talking to a guy who the majority of my recent music career has been in worship music, which is just glorified cover bands. Multiple puns intended. Oh, ho, ho. that was good. That took me a second. I mean, <laughs> my most successful band was a cover band, a dance rock cover band. Isn't that so frustrating? Yeah, it kind of, I don't know. It was fun. I didn't have to think about it too much. I just learned how to play the Franz Ferdinand song, and then I learned how to play the Queens of the Stone Age song, and then I got to do them on stage and jump up and down and laugh. Yeah, I had a... Oh, my, my garage band in high school is called Rainy Thursdays, and we did nothing but covers. 
I was the drummer for the band, except for one song that we did for the only show that we did, which is the high school talent show, because that's how high school worked for me. And uh, I did uh, Jim Blossom's Hey Jealousy, and I sang it and I played the guitar. Uh, I love the Jim Blossoms. That I only did that for a girl who I did not end up marrying, but that's the only reason why I did it. I was scared to death Aww. because I was just most comfortable behind a, a drum set. But we did uh, Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Oh, we Lord. did Danny California. And we did Freebird. Oh. That was our closer was Freebird. You did Freebird? And we rocked it. In high school, uh, to put it in perspective, one year in the talent show, we did an original song. And then the next year we did One Arm Scissor. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Nobody got it. It it kind of went over some heads in rural Ohio. You have more guts than my high school band did. Yeah. I also did um, a solo song called Emo Boys, and I got lots of compliments on that one. That sounds so angsty. I just love the title. Oh, it was just complaining about emo boys being whiny babies, pretty much. I think literally there was one of the lyrics was, all the... All the skinny emo boys are crying, and I'm getting sick of all their selfish whining. And Brendan Urie just crapped himself a little bit. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Good times. Good times. So I guess we should do the TLDR version. TLDR. Uh, why don't you tackle this? Because I'm still processing many things. You're still processing collecting rocks? You know... <sighs> Part of me just wants to edit all of that out out of pure embarrassment. But the (laughs) other half of me was really proud of the rock collection that I had. I think we should leave it in. Okay, I'll just be incredibly embarrassed. It's fine. We'll we'll trade on the embarrassing things. But the TLDR version is, if collecting petals because they're collectible makes you happy, then you should do it. If you're a builder, as long as it's quality and as long as people want it, like keep doing it. But Keep giving us pink petals. It is the year of the pink petals. It is the year of the pink petals. Next year when I have money, please make it the year of the orange petal, but not, not any sooner than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but if you're buying these, don't, don't be that person who buys something just to sell it for twice what you paid for it um i get i get how capitalism works i i don't jive with it um i think it's an insult to builders who intentionally try to price things in in ranges that are you know reasonable for people and because what we don't want to see is builders making a limited run of something and then charging the price that they know people are going to pay for it anyway right then nobody's going to be able to afford it. It's going to be exactly what it's like in in the ticketing industry where artists have started charging $200 for the first two rows of their, of their shows because they know that's what people will pay for them later. Yep, definitely feel that. That's a TLDR that I can get behind. Yep. All right. Just uh, general rule, don't ruin the fun for everybody else just because you're selfish. Don't be that guy. It's not worth it. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Don't be that person. Though I, I gotta be honest, I call girls guys all the time. I just call everyone dude, but I g- spent most of my childhood in California, so I don't know. I feel like that. Yeah, I call everybody dude also. Well, you're just an angsty emo girl, so. All my girlfriends did too. We all just were like, dude, dude. Hey, dude. Yeah, 
all of us. I don't know. I may, might have just been like a weird uh, outcast in rural Ohio kind of thing to do. But yeah, when I emceed my youth group in high school, whenever I did announcements, it was uh, what's up, dudes and dudettes. <laughs> dudettes. <laughs> there's, there's the other. Okay, we're just going to keep my cringeworthy moments to a minimum for the rest of this episode. Yeah, a uh, good thing the episode is is wrapping up then because I, I don't know if it's that, that one little sip of gin hit you, but oh, I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. Oh, that's, that's low. I oh. finished my drink a long time ago. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it was a drink for me as well. Um, well, thanks as always for the chat, Andrew. Absolutely. And today's episode is sponsored by Lambertones. Uh, Black Friday sales are now over. Obviously, um, this is many weeks ago. But I mean, keep up, keep up with it. He's a great dude. If you can squeeze in a birthday present to yourself or for a loved one, by all means, hop on that train. You won't regret it. Yep. I can get behind that. Um, so yeah, everyone who's listening, Thanks for listening and thanks for understanding. And to all a good evening, a good night. How's that quote go? I don't know. Good night and good luck. Something like that. Uh, good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Uh, I like to just, when I put my kid to sleep, I like to tell him uh, that uh, you survived yet another day and you will probably survive tomorrow. Oh, geez. Do you really? No, I, I don't really. <laughs> Usually tell the, 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 uh, the little one that I love him. Very much. And that'll see him tomorrow. And he always, he well, not always. He likes, I like it when he smiles back when I say that. Aw, my parents would always say, good night, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. Classic. Can't go yeah. wrong with that. All right. All right. Well, good evening, everyone. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Bye. Bye.